Hey there. The holidays are here, so it's good to know Fred Meyer can save you some time with free pickup on all your fresh favorites. Whether your traditions call for a hearty helping of juicy ham, ample apple pie, or Aunt Sue's legendary twice-stuffed stuffing, Fred Meyer has got you covered. So order for free pickup at fredmeyer.com or the app and get more time to get your holiday on when you grab your groceries curbside. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Welcome to the Everyday Mindfulness Show, the off-the-cuff exploration of everyday aha moments and life experiences. Join a cast of over 70 uniquely brilliant individuals. Each week, Mike Domish and an eclectic mix of cast members and special guests will engage in mindful and lively conversations about everything from meditation to spirituality to personal passions to successes and failures to relationships to the stuff that makes up the moments of our daily lives. Let's get started with your host, author, speaker, provocateur, and a bit of a goofball, Mike Domish. Hi, yes, I'm your host, Mike Domish, and thrilled to be here with our cast from the Everyday Mindfulness Show. This week, week's cast includes Darren Tipton, Rick Clemens, and Sam Alper. Now, if you're thinking, hey, how do I find out about them? All you do is go out to our website at everydaymindfulnessshow.com, and you can learn all about our brilliant cast. And every show has its own show notes, so you can link to learn all about the three of them or get freebies that, that many of our cast members provide for insightful mindfulness. This week, we're talking about the idea of fixing versus helping. And this really hit me in my life about three, three and a half years ago. I was in an event called the Landmark Advanced Course. It starts with Landmark Forum, then the secondary courses, or the next course is the advanced course. And I was at this event, and we were there, and there was a debate going on in the room. And I was biting my tongue from jumping in because normally I jump right in and, and want to You say, oh, I got the solution. And I had it. I had it in my mind. But I, I kept holding back from jumping in. And so after about 40, 45 minutes of this debate, I finally raised my hand, which for me was a remarkable length of time to wait. For me, 30 seconds is long. So to wait 45 minutes, I was sort of being stubborn and saying, don't do it, don't do it. And I raised my hand. The facilitator says, Mike, come on up. And I come up and I share why I waited because the day before she said, I'm a little, I'm a little too woohoo, a little too much cheerleader can come authentic to people. So I say that I say, well, I, you know, I wanted to come up for a while. I really felt like it could help, but I didn't want to be that woohoo cheerleader. She stops me in front of everybody and says, well, of course you thought you could help because you're an arrogant, righteous jerk. And it gets better when she turns to the audience and says, how many of you get that vibe about Mike? Now, keep in mind, I've only spoke twice in the room. And so I sat there and a third of the room raised their hands. And I was like, whoa, I was not mad at her at all. I was devastated because something real was happening in front of me that I was completely unaware of. And so I forgot I was on the mic. I was devastated. And I just said to myself, but I, but I said it out loud, I just wanted to help. To which she responded, how does that work for everyone in your life that you're so brilliant, you can always fix their problems for them? How does that work for your, your partner, your kids, your coworkers, your family members, that you're always so brilliant, you have everyone's solution? And I sat down and started going through my head, do I do that? Do I do that? And I thought, 
I do do that. I'm not the dad who jumps in and does the project, but I'm the dad who jumps in and says, what about this? What about that? And tries to present the solutions. Uh, if the time my partner, well, still my partner, uh, I had said, oh man, all these years she's talked about going for a new job. And I always jump in with, let me have your resume. Let me help you. And she didn't ask for help. I was trying to jump in and fix the problem. And it was a big revelation for me. So I called her and said this. And she goes, you know, Mike, we've been married for this at the time, three years ago, 19 years. And we have a wonderful marriage, but I've never known how to say this to you because it's true. And I had this awakening of, wow, it doesn't mean I am this righteous jerk. It means that I was projecting this at times with this attitude of I can fix and I want to fix. And I was coming from a self-righteous of I'm trying to help, trying to help. And that's what today's about. How do we recognize when we're fixing versus truly helping, being supportive? And so, Darren, we'll start with you today. How do you recognize when you're fixing versus helping? I think there's two things we look at when we think of if there's that internal mechanism coming from your gut that says you've got to do something or that person needs to do X. It can either be arrogance in some regard, or it could even be codependence that, you know, there's that codependent nature in a lot of us that like to help. I think there is this element of, am I fixing or am I creating a supportive environment where someone can be empowered themselves to either make a decision, move forward to do something. My work in Africa, one of the things we do is we look for the most remote places that need obvious have the most obvious need for help. And actually this fits very well with what we're doing that how do you know if you're actually empowering somebody or how do you know if you're rescuing them? And, you know, it could be a uh, conversation that we have for the next few hours, but I think it's worth the discussion to say, if you're going to help somebody, are we looking at it as empowering or was, are we looking at it as rescuing? I love that, that whole concept of, are we rescuing or empowering? Do we also ask, is it our place? Yes. (laughs) So how do you do that? How do you, maybe you ask yourself, is it my place? And you think, how do I know without asking the person? So how do you know if it's your place? How do you start this conversation with somebody in a way that's supporting and helping versus fixing? Well, here's something I, I find interesting. I love what Darren brought up is this rescuing thing. Cause I, I had similar to you, Mike, I'd always felt I was helping. And then when I realized, wait, I feel like I'm the rescuer and then I would get frustrated. So that's how I know when I'm trying to fix somebody versus help somebody is if I start getting frustrated and angry and like, okay, can't you see that I'm doing this? for your best interest, then that's my signal. So what I've done to start to step into this more and more, obviously with my coaching clients, I ask, can I coach you around this? Or how would you like me to be with you in this conversation? I've started using that second question a lot with other people is how would you like me to be with you right now? What is it that you desire from me? How can I best support you right now? Because we all know our answers within. And I, I just, I know when I ask those questions, I get direct responses of what someone needs from me, which then in turn helps me set the tone in my own head of, am I rescuing? Am I helping? Am I just supporting? Am I just listening? What am I supposed to be doing right now? You can ask people, you can ask them what they need at that moment. And even though a solution or a path forward or help with a decision may be crystal clear 
to you in that moment, the, the question that I think Rick is asking people explicitly is, if I give you advice right now, am I pushing it on you or are you pulling it from me? Mm. Ooh, that, that's powerful. You know, it's something that as I've been working with consulting clients, I love to help. And Mike, the story you told had me thinking back through many, many conversations I've had and potentially sitting down and, you know, almost saying something out loud. My, my saying something was not in as eloquent terms as yours, but that's a great question. And I think it actually gets to the heart of coaching is what is the person needing right now? And what, what advice are they pulling from you? Well, and I love the question, how can I be of support to you right now? The question that I had learned back then was, right now, are you needing an ear to listen or are you looking for someone to help provide a solution? Mm-hmm. It was a question that I had been taught to ask. And I remember the first time I asked it, and I was afraid to ask it because I'm like, this is going to come off weird. <laughs> That's what was going through my head. Like when, when I was in the moment, this is going to come off weird. And the person was like, That's a great question. I'm looking for a solution. Or, yeah, that's a great question. I'm looking for, it really opened a door for me. Yet at the same time, almost every time I ask it, somebody would say, no, I, I would like to hear your, you know, your, your, your suggestion, your advice, your solution. And I think looking back, that might be the wrong question. That what you're saying, how can I be of support to you right now? Let's them open those doors of possibilities versus you saying, which one? Here's two options. Which one do you want? And I think it almost makes people feel guilty if they don't say solution because then they're disvaluing your you and they don't want to do that. So I think they often say, oh, I want your solution because it's hard to say, no, I just want you to listen. That's hard to, for anybody to say to someone. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really brilliant. that. And is that the exact question, Rick, for you? Is it that question you posed of how can I be of support to you right now? Now, how can I coach you is obviously when you're coaching a client, that's, right, a, right. that's an apparent question. But to a family friend, you're obviously not going to typically say, how can I coach you? So is it, how can I be of support to you right now? What can, how can I be of service to you right now? What's the language you use? It, support, how can I best be with you right now? What is it you most need from me right now? Because then that opens the door. And, and I think it's all about those open-ended questions that are so beautiful because then it causes all of us to have to think. One of the things that I like that I'm learning in some training I'm going through right now is, If there's only one solution, you have no choice. If you have two solutions, you have a dilemma. But if you have three options, now you have choice because you can kind of think through this. So the more you get people to think of all the possibilities of what they might desire, and I hate the word need. I try not to use need a whole lot. But um, I've even I've even talked to you know, I I asked my daughter this morning via text because she's coming over to work on stuff around college applications and stuff. And I said, What's the greatest desire you have out of this time we have this afternoon so that I can best support you? And it was really powerful. And, you know, my kids are kind of used to this. They're like, okay, here goes dad again. (laughs) But they're starting to get used to it, you know. And she said, the thing that would help me the most this afternoon is to know that we can narrow down to three colleges, at least the three that she has been accepted to right now, that I can focus on getting the tuition figured out, getting the dates figured out, and really thinking about what's the best route to take to making the decision around those three. And she already knew I was going to push her towards three because I want her to have the options, the real choice. If it's only one, then there's no choice. If it's two, then she's kind of in that dilemma phase. But to have the three, it's a really huge option. 
I, I'll offer just a little bit different perspective, probably with a more, I'm going to call it energetic bent, because I think in those situations we're making decisions and we're consulting and coaching people. I go back to the, the phrase you asked in the beginning, Mike, helping versus fixing. When I see the word fixing, I'm thinking of there's something wrong with somebody. So mm-hmm. I tend to think of more, I guess, in-depth problems such, I mean, we could name a thousand things that people are struggling with, but struggles. How do we fix somebody who's struggling with X or how do we fix somebody who's on the wrong path or how do we help them if they're on the wrong path? So I think there's that balance between, okay, these are people that I'm coaching. I have a relationship with versus stepping into a situation. You find out maybe a friend's an alcoholic or you find out a loved one has habitual lying problem. It could be a million things. And then how how do you interact in those situations when it really is a situation that needs a fix, not just conversations or counsel, but maybe even somebody who's headed down the wrong street to the point of potential harm to themselves. Well, that's a great question. Can you fix that person or can you only help and support them? No, that's what I'm saying. I said, those are the kinds of things, at least for myself thinking, okay, when do I, when does this question apply to my life? Am I helping or fixing? It's usually with somebody who comes along my path who needs a fix. Or in my mind, you know, this is the perception of me. You know, this person's going the wrong direction. They need to a fix to go the right direction. Are you saying that, hey, then I do step in, then I fix versus help? Or are you saying that's when I have to stop myself from thinking I can fix this person? They can only fix themselves. I can be of support right now. Right. I guess uh, two points I'm making. One, sometimes it's more than a counseling type relationship that we have with people. Two, I, to answer your question, I have to stop and think, why am I, like, much like what Rick said, why am I thinking that this is the solution? Is this what they really need? Is this what I think they need? And are they even asking for me to offer any solution at all or to stand with them or offer direction? So I guess my point of the perspective I'm making is, There are times when counseling and we have people we're coaching that plays into it. But I think sometimes when I think of the word fix, I think you have to almost know that something is wrong with somebody. And what is my response in that situation? Is it to encourage them to do the right thing and then leave the results to them? Or is it to say, you know, it's that struggle we have with this idea of fixing. Well, and I think it really applies for me. I catch it when I read a book. So I love books that make me look inside, right? From an internal growth place or discovery place, that's where I flourish in reading. But I find it interesting when sometimes I'm going, oh, so-and-so could use this Mm -hmm. while I'm reading it versus stopping and going, well, how could I use this? Why am I saying they need this? One of the things I heard that was interesting to me, specifically in the idea of fixing versus helping, was the phrase wrong path. If you're reading a book and you hear, you know, you're thinking, hey, you know, somebody could use this. We're making a judgment about the path that person is on. We're making a judgment saying they're not going in the right direction or they need fixing. We may not know if they're on the wrong path. You know, it's easy for a parent to say, hey, my kid is going to art school that's the wrong path. They're never going to make any money as an artist. And then Mm -hmm. go figure they became, you know, they win, you know, one of these designing competitions and they go on to make more money than anybody had ever dreamed 
as they're pursuing their passion. Or they may make no money and absolutely love their life. The question really is, and I think this is one way that we might dive into fixing people with it not being pulled, with it not being desired, is, is this their judgment or ours? Right. I mean, think about when you're reading a book and you, you, let's say you do that. And most people admit it. Oh, I've done that before. You know, if I've read a book that's about helping my, you know, myself do something, we've also seen others that, that could use, could at that moment, we think at one point or another, oh, I could see so-and-so who does that, which then begs the question of, well, what if we ask the reverse question? <laughs> what if the question was, how much do they see us doing this? How many things in this book do they think we need help with? That changes the whole perspective on us thinking, oh, so-and-so needs this. Well, I wonder what they would say I need from this book. Which parts of this really, really strike true for, for them looking at my, my personality, my choices, my decision-making, and bring it back to ourselves, which is which at that point is good because you, you, know, you can't really help others unless you're growing yourself. We've talked about that before, the idea of you can't give love if you don't have love to give. So yeah, it becomes very interesting. And how do you make that call? How do you make that choice? What are triggers that you all find lead to fixing uh, that lead to, whoops, I'm headed down that path or looking backwards and going, oh, I did it. I did it right there. What are triggers that help you catch yourself or afterwards catch it? Well, for me, it's definitely frustration, anger, feeling some form of rejection that, hey, I'm trying to do something here for you and you're just not getting it. And that tells me I'm trying to fix. It's in that moment that I realize that's what's happening. That's brilliant. If you go one step upstream from there, I imagine that the precursor to that is I see a path that's better than the one you're on. So the idea that I know better or I have a better solution, if you can catch yourself there, yeah. mm-hmm. might actually help you prevent getting to the point of anger or frustration. But I don't know how you catch yourself at that point. Well, I think there's an interesting little exercise and we're, we're going to bring Oprah to this conversation. So <laughs> I went to the Oprah weekend a couple of years ago. And there was a moment where she said, okay, I want everybody to close your eyes and I want you to think of someone you really care about. Someone in your life could be your spouse, kid, somebody, but focus on one person and think about what you want for them and get those thoughts just really, really clear for the next, you know, 30 seconds to a minute. I think we did it for about a minute. And then when we opened our eyes, we had the weekend workbook and we wrote down what we wanted for those people. And when we got done, Deepak Chopra was on the stage with her at that moment. And he said, so I want you to look at what you just wrote down for that person. And look at how many of those things are actually the same things that you want for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I've started using this. When I read books and go, oh, this would be really good for so-and-so, or this would be really good for so-and-so, I kind of use that same exercise of what is it about myself I'm supposed to be learning that I'm trying to project out on. And there's nothing wrong with saying, oh, this would be really good for someone else. But what is it I'm supposed to be learning at that same moment that I'm trying to make this good for somebody else? You know, Rick, while you were speaking and identify with what you just said, I think for me, it's asking the question, am I dealing, am I 
connecting with this situation, problem, challenge emotionally, or am I connecting with it intellectually? Mm -hmm. And for me to say, the reason I feel X is because I'm kind hearted, I'm sensitive, whatever. And often when I do it out of feeling, that's when I realize it's okay to step back and think, you know, why am I doing this? What am I supposed to say? What's the best thing for me? What's the best thing for this person? And it's okay to tell myself, no, you don't need to do that. You don't need to help that person in that way. Mm -hmm. I I love that because I think you just walked us to the next step where I wanted to go, Darren, which is how we have these conversations become so pivotal. Mm -hmm. I remember years ago, I was in this group when I had that awakening moment at that landmark event. I looked back at a moment that I had a few years ago in this group that we call XY and National Speakers Association, we're sitting in a room and somebody in the room said, hey, writing is the way to wealth. And this person's business was struggling and they were doing tons of writing. And I looked him straight in the face or sitting next to me and go, you're sure about that? And he looked at me like, are you just trying to be a jerk or are you trying to help me? And this type of thing. And I remember somebody in the room said, "Oh, I know who it was." Said, "Mike, if we didn't love you so much, you know how much you know how much how much you want to help us and great content you have in your head, we think you're an asshole. But we love you." And I looked at that moment like, "Oh, they love me. I'm helping. This is wonderful." In my head, I actually believed that at the time, which is crazy. Three years later, I would look back at that moment and go, "Oh my gosh, it was right there in front of me." But I didn't want to see it because I wanted to believe the positive. I wanted to believe the help word in there versus the way I was helping. Uh, And so it might have ended up helping because we did get to a great place in that conversation, but it could have done it so much better. And so the big transformation for me was instead of just saying something was to change the language to, well, what about this? What about this possibility? And by putting possible there, it took off the harsh tone. Because you can't say that with an attitude. It has to be more caring and compassion. It talk off, here's the way to do it. Because it's, what about this possibility? Or is this a possibility? Mm -hmm. It took off all the harshness and allowed it to be heard versus the old mindset of, I'm going to be blunt to save everyone time. Which is what I I know I did. And I know a lot of friends who have said, oh yeah, I'm efficient that way. And I'm like, we're not efficient. That's just cruel and rude, but we don't mean to be. It doesn't mean it's intentional, but it can be projected that way. I I think I heard two things in what you said, and one of them I'm going to use good old web chat as the example. The first was, if I use the magic words, is that possible? I think magic words can be a trap as well, because it's pretty well known that you can say whatever you want in a web chat, as long as you put a smiley after it. You can insult somebody, but oh, I put a little winky smile, so it's okay. And really, that's not okay. You know, so we have to be sure we're not just doing the same thing we were doing before and then adding our our magic formula. But the other thing I heard you say that I thought was really interesting was it sounds like you started approaching these types of conversations more from a Socratic method perspective of and not Socratic method. And I'm going to change that out because Socratic method is I'm leading you to my point more from a discovery perspective of asking questions, of asking, you know, how does this go? How does this work for you? And I think discovery, if you can make it a mutual discovery, is a great way to help somebody. And and I do think this is helping at this point, help them get their thoughts together. And, And that's exactly right. It did come from a place of how do I 
go down this path of discovery. And and I love what you said about the magic word. For me, the words were important to give me a transition. And it, it might not be that I use that same language anymore, but it gave me a place to start of how can I word this in a way that is more more built on discovery. And that's where the possibility worked for me. But I think you bring up a good point of we got to watch the trap of if you're always saying the same way, the same people are, it's like kids, right? They know how their parents talk to them. They know how we start our sentences. And people can then foreshadow because you're using the same language you've used before. And it doesn't feel compassionate. It feels like this is a system. Uh, so I think you bring up a brilliant point about that. Well, I think it goes back to Mike as well. You know, my my example of how would you like me to be with you? I'm not going to say that all the time to my kids, but tell me what you need right now. Or what's the best thing I could do right now for you to help those tears quit, you know, flowing down your face? You find the moments, you know, I, I guess I've gotten so used to it. It's part of my bones. It's part of my intellect. It's part of my emotion. It's part of my physical being that I can dial into that. And I think if we can find those ways to do that, then it helps do two things. One, it helps us show up the way we want to show up for people in our lives. And two, it keeps us from going into fix mode. Which is critically important and the whole point of this episode. So this has been fantastic. All three of you have been sensational. I'd like us to think at the end here, for anybody listening, are there books that you have read or was there something that you experienced? I shared for me, this was a landmark forum than the advanced course that helped me go through this process. Uh, are there books or other resources that three of you have experienced that help you through this process of growth of how do I help support versus fix? Well, I'm looking at a book on my shelf right now that really got me there. It's, <laughs> it's entitled Don't Be Nice, Be Real. And that really changed a lot of stuff for me. Don't Be Nice, Be Real. The title alone says so much. <laughs> One book that I think of, Mike, as called when helping hurts mm. perspective on this idea of humanitarian work and coming in and standing with people but it's just a very good resource makes you think love it love it thank you darren rick and sam for joining me thank you mike thank you absolutely thank you. and for everyone listening right you can check out our brilliant cast and get all the special downloads we have available at everydaymindfulnessshow.com until next time may you enjoy everyday mindfulness in your life Three quick reminders. One, please subscribe to the Everyday Mindfulness Show on iTunes. Already subscribed? Then encourage others to join us by inviting them to subscribe to the show. Two, while on iTunes, download all the latest episodes. Three, reviews help more people find out about the show. Would you please go into iTunes and write a review? Doing so helps spread the mission of the show. Thanks. We appreciate you being a part of our vibrant, oftentimes silly, and always vulnerable community. If you have an idea, a thought, want to sponsor the show, or just want to say hi, send us an email at listen at everydaymindfulnessshow.com and check us out at everydaymindfulnessshow.com. Have a joyful, mindful week. <laughs>